Welcome to episode 10 of the Avatar Hour podcast, the show where we discuss all things Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And this week we'll be discussing episodes 9 and 10 of Avatar The Last Airbender Season 1, which is The Waterbending Scroll and Jet. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to let you know that this podcast will be discussing full spoilers for both Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. However, you are free from spoilers regarding any Avatar Universe comic books and also the Rise of Kiyoshi and Shadow of Kiyoshi books. So, Andre, how are we this week? <laughs> Fall is here. Oh, it's definitely here. <laughs> I mean, it was here last week when we were recording too, but it's here here now. It feels I just like got it. back from a nice uh, ooky spooky evening walk nice. in the cold air and looking at everyone's Halloween decorations. Yeah. It's great. I love it. This is my that favorite time like of the year. Fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is the best time of year i mean i love christmas but like halloween deserves some more love halloween and christmas as holidays live like completely rent-free in my head oh absolutely like I'm, as soon as like january comes i'm already planning or already looking forward to halloween and christmas i like, mean just you know as soon as halloween's over it's like that that gif from the nightmare before christmas there's only 365 days until next halloween exactly exactly i've yeah. never seen the nightmare before christmas so that's wait <laughs> You've never seen The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's the irony, isn't it? Because I love both holidays, but I've never seen that movie. Kayla. Uh, I'm about to stop this podcast right this second. (laughs) Excuse me? You've never seen The Nightmare Before Christmas. Is it on Disney Plus? I can watch it after we're done recording. I don't know if it's on Disney Plus, but it's somewhere and you have to watch it. it. I haven't seen it. All right. Well, until you watch it, you will you will have your gay card revoked. What? <laughs> and the gay council will let you know when you can have it back after you watch the movie, and explain why you had it took you twenty years. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, you need to watch it. It's really spooky. <laughs> it's October. It's it's really good. It's really really okay, really good. Okay. You need to watch it. Okay. Other than that immense downfall <laughs> in your uh, individual character, how how else are you doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's really nice to, you know, have fall weather again. I can't walk out in shorts anymore. Well, I I go out in shorts and I have to work out with my swim team. But like, uh, I mean, that's fine. But meanwhile, you know, everyone else, everyone else, all the rest of the people start putting on like their leggings and like, you know, their pants and stuff. But the some certain cishet men start keeping their shorts on. I'm like, why? (laughs) Are the colors of the leaves starting to change there yet? Yes, it's so pretty though, because like the pool um is on like pretty much like literally like on top, like in the middle of the mountains and stuff. So mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as I, in the mornings it's very foggy, ooky spooky kind of thing. Uh, you know, as in like you can't, you can barely see the car in front of you, kind of fog. You know, that's like that happens. But when you're done, like when you're done practice, and like the sun's starting to come up, you can see like the fog on the valley, and you can start to see the like the leaves starting to change. It is so pretty. Do you guys swim outside? No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. when we come out of the building. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> oh my god. No, when we come out of the building. Oh my god. <laughs> we cool, don't live though. in Florida. We can't swim outside year round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. West Virginia is has very, very beautiful fall weather. Yeah, and so news. Um, there's no Avatar news this week, but I just want to. Uh, I mean, you know, in an interesting world of American politics right now, Trump has coronavirus, y'all. <laughs> ha. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how I wrote it in the doc. Trump has coronavirus. Ha. I found out 
late Thursday night. It was the first day of October. So whatever witch out there cursed this month for Trump, I mean, I you deserve a raise in the witchdom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say witch talk has something to do with it. But yeah, I literally found out like literally like I remember I was like in my car waiting to go into practice because it's like 5.30, 5.40 in the morning. And that's when I found out because you found because the news broke early in the morning that day. So I'm already awake with the rest, you know, but, the you know, the journalist at the New York Times said and put a notification out that Trump tested positive for, you know, COVID. And um, I burst out laughing. Uh, it's about the hypocrisy, guys. <laughs> it's the call is coming from inside the house, like, the, <laughs> like, and it's not only Trump. It it is literally like the entire GOP is coming down with this thing, and it's like every I refresh my Twitter feed, and every thirty minutes, like a famous, like I like right before this podcast, Chris Christie tested positive for for COVID. Earlier, it was like Kellyanne Conway tested positive, and then a bunch of other people because it was it was this garden event that they did. For the fucking Supreme Court, Amy Barrett bullshit. <laughs> and you, there's literally a video of them and, and, and it's just everyone no there. Mask. No one's wearing masks. They're just, they're just hugging each other and shaking hands. And I'm just like a super spreader event outside the White House. That's like the Mask of the Red Death kind of thing going on there. Just saying. It's the Mask of the Red Death to a T. And it's, <laughs> it's literally, literally, and also another thing, like literally they're celebrating, like they're going against the wishes of, a, you know, a woman who just literally died, like what, like less than you know, like a week, almost a, you know, a little over a week ago, two mm -hmm. weeks ago. I don't even know. Time has no meaning to me anymore. But, you know, like they go against her wishes, nominate, you know, that's try, trying to nominate someone into, you know, the Supreme Court. And then they all get COVID right before things are official. Like, that is, like, if this were a script for a TV show, people would say, it's a little too on the nose, don't you think? This is what I'm saying. Like, as a writer, why is 2020 following, like, the three-act structure? Like, this is, <laughs> we are literally in the last act of a terrible, overly written, bad TV show on AMC. And it is just immensely hilarious to me. And I cannot wait to, well... I was gonna say I can't wait to see what else no, happens this no, no, month, no, no, but no, 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 don't do that! I don't can't do wait. that! Don't do that! Don't do that! Don't do that! That's how we do. That's how we treat it. every single month, twenty twenty. Look at what happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Avatar. Let's talk about Avatar. <laughs> now that we've angered anyone, any Republicans listen to the show, uh, eh. let's move on. All right, we're gonna start with the episode recap for ep uh, season one, episode nine, the Water Bending Scroll. So let's just jump right into it. Um, Aang is currently having like an anxiety attack because uh, he's realizing that he has to master three elements before the end of the summer, which we still don't get a real good sense of like how far that away, uh, how far away that is. Mm -hmm. Um, but like it's close, like going off his behavior. Yeah, it's, um, me, it's me trying to like meet the deadline for something that's due tomorrow, but it's fine. It's actually not that bad. I put the outline out today. That's fine. But it's just me well, Ang is Ang is the ultimate procrastinator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, one could say that, especially because because uh, uh, Sokka says to him like, "Well, you took you know you mastered already mastered Airbending. That only took you 112 years." <laughs> yep, yep. So. And this is what and what have I been saying? If they didn't make all those pit stops, this could have been like episode four, but you wasted five episodes worth of subplot and side plot, and now you're realizing that you wasted a bunch of time, Aang. Then you waste, then you waste more time after this because the next one is the the, the next episode we're going to review after this episode is the past or something. Exactly, whatever. exactly. <laughs> like the one that everyone hates. <laughs> so one then, episode that everyone hates. But then his anxieties turn towards mastering waterbending, 
And since they're weeks away from the Northern Water Tribe, Katara offers to teach Aang um, what she knows to get him started. Um, so they, they settle on this, I guess, just river somewhere. And while Sokka is off giving Appa a, a spa day, uh, Aang and Katara it. sort of start working together. And Aang picks up waterbending very quickly. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think it is about waterbending that Aang can, you know, tune into like very easily? Well, in your I mean, opinion. Like bending is an extension of a person's personality in a lot of cases. And I think it's every, well, you know, that's like something that's been discussed on the show. Uh, I mean, you know, I know that each of the elements has their own distinct, like kind of personality groups, if you will. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like Aang kind of has this go with the flow quite literally uh, kind of mentality with his life. And water is the element of like adaptability and change, which can go hand in hand with airbending. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, then we see him struggle with earthbending next season because it's kind of like the opposite of his personality. But water and air kind of fit really well with like Aang's personality. So, yeah, I agree. There you go. I agree. <laughs> um, but then as I, w- as I was watching this and like watching Aang like pick up these techniques very easily, I couldn't help but think, man, if the genders were swapped in this situation, mm-hmm. so many people would be calling Aang a Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. And listeners, if you want more of our thoughts on that particular trope, listen to episode four, The Controversy of Legend of Korra. We go very deep into it. But it's just something that stuck out while I was watching the episode for the first time. I was like, oh... I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, Aang is a Gary Stew or whatever. Because, I mean, I think it is in line that he can pick up waterbending very quickly. Apart from the fact that he's the Avatar, like, waterbending is pretty close to air in terms of, like, the technique and the, the I guess, mindset that you need for that kind of bending. But I don't know. I just thought that was funny. <clears throat> but uh, this sort of, this sort of uh, session ends with them accidentally sending their supplies down the river. Oop. So they have to visit somewhere to restock their supplies. Um, so they get to this protocol. Aang buys a bison whistle that we'll see uh, used later, which I will be referring to as Chekhov's bison whistle. Um, and they happen upon some pirates and discover this waterbending scroll that has like, um, you know, different techniques and forms and moves that, that you can learn. It was interesting to think like this is how techniques and forms are disseminated in this world, like just through these scrolls. Like, I wonder if like the other nations are so forthcoming about making those forms and techniques accessible because sometimes it just feels like the way they bend is just from either just natural instinct or what they've seen other people do. But this seems, this scroll seems to be like something that is like a very traditional sort of form of water bending. And I, and I'm interested to know whether or not the other nations have something some like archives that they can go into to find these very old and traditional forms of their respective bending. I'm going to say probably, especially for people who are, you know, kind of upper class and can, you know, uh, afford getting that kind of information. Cause I don't know if there's a printing press yet in the avatar universe, uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, well, you know, with knowledge, you know, in the avatar universe, for instance, uh, you know, the fire nation, like only the royalty knew how to lightning bend for instance, you know, so some aspects of that probably wouldn't be as available, but right. I mean, that waterbending scroll was probably stolen. We don't know where from, but probably somewhere fancy. <laughs> yeah, it's the pirate guy said that um, he does have a name, so I'll just say pirate guy. They said they stole it off of a Earth King Earth Kingdom nobleman or something like that. 
or I think they try to sell it to an Earth Kingdom no- nobleman. I literally watched this episode forty minutes ago. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, I think it is. I think there is. They they are. Yeah, they're selling it to it. Um, but yeah, they find pa- the scroll. The, the scroll's probably passed hands a few times. So. Oh sure, I'm sure, and it's it's a it's also incredibly rare and and expensive. So mm-hmm. that gives us some idea of like how just special it is, I guess. Um, but after Aang fails to bargain with, you know, one copper piece, two copper piece, uh, the trio leave, but Katara has stolen the scroll and the pirates realize it. And we get this classic Atla chase scene, plenty of humor, fast paced music. And of course a cabbage man cameo. And he did not have any luck in Omashu and he didn't find any luck in this nameless port. Um, and I wish him well, my condolences are with him and his cabbages. Oof. <laughs> Aang airbends them out of there and they escape. Meanwhile, Iroh um, essentially makes the captain on their ship change course to try and restock his lost Lotus tile for his Pi Show game board. Well, the and Lotus tile is important later, so don't forget that for people who, you know. Yes, yes. I I thought <laughs> this was funny because not not only Zuko's reaction, but just like Iroh's insistence that, yeah, I know we're like hunting the Avatar. But I cannot do that if I can't play a complete game of Pi Show. Like I need some some way to like move like just pass the time on this godforsaken ship. But I it's like that same thing from Beetlejuice when she's like, if you don't let me like remodel this house, I will go completely insane. Like I have not seen Beetlejuice. I haven't seen Beetlejuice either. I just know that from like just gifs and stuff. So <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't but... know that. But yeah, the way that Ira was talking about this Lotus tile, I know that it's it's a foreshadowing for the White Lotus, but also the way he was talking about it and how like it's it's um it's like his secret weapon or something, um his like unique way of playing. I'm just like, hmm. hmm. I'm trying to think of like what maybe there's like a subtle metaphor there for Ira's character or something that happens later on. Not necessarily with Paisha, but just like with Iroh in general. Well, I mean, like, he didn't he say something like, you know, people underestimate the White Lotus tile in the game. Mm-hmm. Iroh with the White Lotus. People underestimate Iroh when they see him. Possibly. You know, I might be drawing at straws, but, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> Possibly. I'm actually, you know what? I'm actually going to pull up the transcript of this episode because I want to know the um, the full quote. Most people think the lotus tile insignificant, but it is essential for the unusual strategy that I employ. Unusual strategy. It could be many things. It could be the lightning bending. It could be the dragon of the west bending. I don't know. I guess Iroh does come off of like, it's easy to underestimate him. As we saw in like the the last episode with like um, him being kidnapped by the Earth Kingdom, mm-hmm. I guess cops or whatever. Um, they underestimated him because he's an old man, but he's actually like incredibly smart and incredibly powerful. So I don't know. I just thought that was an, that was an interesting sort of underscoring to his character. Absolutely, absolutely. So I looked at, into Pai Show a little bit to get a sense of like what the influence is. And according to the Avatar Wiki, Pai Show is based on the game of Go, Chinese checkers, and Xi'an Qi. And it is a game that has been around since the era of Rava, which is Ooh. interesting. So this has really been it's a staple of this this universe and as we learn in legend of korra every culture has its own rules and interpretations of like the written rules and i don't know i think i think that's interesting mm-hmm. i guess i mean like i'm trying to think of like a like a what would be the parallel for that in this you know in our like 
our universe, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know what? I, what am I saying? Uno. There Everyone has their own <laughs> rules for Uno. There you go. The Uno is the pie show of this world. There you go. I think oh, it's, I, it just reminds me, like, when Bowen tells, like, Cora, it's like, Cora, you got like, you know, as Avatar, you got to universalize the rules of pie show. That's, like, one of my favorite Bowen moments, like, right there, yeah. you know? She's like, I'll do that after I overthrow this terrorist group that's hunting me right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good episode of Cora. I don't know. But even even with Uno, when they try to be like, N- you can't do this and this, everyone's like, fuck no. your rules. <laughs> like, fuck your drag, oh. Uno. I will play how I want. <laughs> anyway we're we're digressing a lot this evening but you know what it's fine we're just gonna go with it i mean this episode i mean it is i mean every episode in some way shape or form is important to the story but you know this one it's okay to divert a little bit off course sometimes sure yeah but i love this quote um that he says uh later on after this chase that i always say the only thing better than finding something you're looking for is finding something you weren't looking for at a great bar day. And you said that's me thrift shopping. That's (laughs) also me. When I have money too. I never go into a thrift shop like um, to find something. It's always like, what can I like? What what am I trying to say? I don't go anything. I don't go in there. I'm like, I'm going to get a new coat. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to find whatever I like. And I've been thrift shopping very, very uh, often recently and I love it. And I need to stop because I've already spent quite a lot of money. I found a lot of like good like Halloween decorations. I found a lot of really good coats. Nice. Um, yeah, we stand. I mean, I have at least like one or two things that I have in mind that I definitely want to get when I get in there. But like you know, it's kind of fancy free with my approach to thrift shopping. Yeah, you just you just never know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of funny shops. that it's kind of funny that Iroh buys like a horn and Zuko's like, you know, why'd you get Assuming that? And he horn, says yeah. like, he says like, well, for music night on the ship, you know, oh man, of if course. we have like a woodwind section or something, like music they have night a game on the night, ship. They have a music night. They have a taco night. They have yeah. Could you imagine they like have a I mean, movie night? I'm thinking, I'm thinking about like karaoke night. You know, like what would they, what would they sing a karaoke? What would Zuko and Iroh sing a karaoke night? <laughs> like if they, <laughs> I imagine that that Zuko like. At some point, like finally, he's like, "Fine, I'll sing one song." <laughs> he does you know tequila. I mean? Yeah, he does tequila. Yeah. Tequila, say one word <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. I would probably do some shopping. ballad, some like eighty. We stand thrift ballad. stores, but not Salvation Army. They're homophobic, don't you? Oh yeah, and transphobic. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so after stopping in the same shop that the gang stole the scroll, Zuko overhears the pirates talking about a girl and bald monk. And Zuko asks him if the bald monk has an arrow on its head, and he connects the dots, and he partners with the parent, the pirates to find Aang. Um, dun, dun, dun. But back with them, Katara attempts to learn the water whip move from this scroll. Uh, she quickly becomes frustrated, and especially when Aang does the move effort- effortlessly. And I think we've all kind of been there at some point, like mm-hmm. when we're doing something with a friend or a sibling and it requires a level of skill and you're really bad at it, but they pick it up right away. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, like when you go like ax throwing for the first time or something oh, God. or like, <laughs> or like archery. I don't know. I don't know why I thought of archery or like bowling. That's oh, another God, one. Bowling in ages. Same, <laughs> same. But some people are really good at bowling, like on the first try and others like really struggle with it. Um, but this really gets to Katara and she kind of blows up at Aang and she's kind of shocked by it. She gives the scroll to Aang. But later that night, Katara steals the scroll and sneaks away to practice under the cover of night. 
And in the process, she gets captured by Zuko, who says, I believe the cringiest line of this episode, I'll save you from the pirates. Oh, God. <laughs> just like, I think I might have skipped that part. <laughs> you skipped that part? I would I would have too. As in, no, as in like, as in like I, I just cringed and skipped ahead 10 seconds. I don't even, I, mean, I skip ahead a lot, actually, I realize. Like, whenever like, there's like a somewhat embarrassing moment, I have such bad, like, empathy sometimes. My empathy gets so bad sometimes. Like, secondhand like, embarrassment? God, my secondhand embarrassment is so powerful. I didn't even realize how often I do that until I was watching, like, I don't know, I think it was, like, Shira or something with my brother. And, like, some embarrassing moment happened to Adora or one of the other characters. And I skipped 10 seconds ahead. Like, my brother's like, why'd you do that? I'm like, it was just too much, man. I couldn't handle it. Well, that's like, it's like that thing of like when you're like watching a movie with your parents and there's like a sex scene that comes out of nowhere and you're just like, uh, I really hate this. I want to leave. Yeah. I'm, I didn't put this in the dog because I just thought of it. I don't want to get too much into it, but this is um, historically the moment where Zutara shippers were born. And really? I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying. I don't want to get into it because I don't want Zutara shippers in our mentions, but Ooh. guys, I don't get it. I don't. I, don't, I thought it was like see, but I thought it was like season two, really, where people were just like, "Oh, I ship it." No, this is. I thought that was season two, really. That was the moment. I mean, then again, I wasn't. Yes, in because the it's when it it's started. the whole like he's in control and like getting close to her and like with the neck necklace and everything, and I'm just like, Ugh. I mean, it might be because we're just full on gay, but I just don't understand it. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. Heterosexual <laughs> people, please explain this to me. Because I'm at a loss. Heterosexuals, explain. 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 Why is it <laughs> America, explain. Yeah. <laughs> so Zuko proposes in exchange Aang's location for Katara's lost necklace that he found at the end of the imprisoned episode. Um, and Katara's like, it's a fucking, essentially like, it's a fucking necklace. I'm not going to tell you where he is. Um, and then Zuko sends the pirates to capture Aang and Sokka, which they do. And now we have this like rendezvous at the edge of the river and they're going to trade the scroll for the, for Aang and Sokka like effortlessly just starts to be like, he's the avatar. Like you could get a thousand scrolls with the money you'd get from the fire Lord. And he like eff just effortlessly pits these pirates against the firebenders. And I mm -hmm. love it. He's a smart boy. Okay. I know he's I say that smart. every single episode what he's in, but seriously, he's like he's very smart. Just because he's funny doesn't make him just make him like stupid, you know. I mean, funny that's people my, are often I the that trope. I mean, here's the thing, but funny people, like really like witty, funny people, are often like super intelligent. Yes. And a yes. lot of people don't realize that. Yes. So you know. Dumb people are not funny. You no. need to be smart to be funny. So Sokka successfully puts them together and they start fighting. And this fight scene that follows is actually, like, really cool and fast-paced. Like, I think the way Avatar is able to incorporate its action sequences so flawlessly into the episode is, like, one of its biggest strengths. And it's also, like, the, the smoke and, like, the non-bender pirates also add another, like, interesting flair to the fighting dynamic. Especially when you have, like, the captain and Zuko and it's, like, fire against sword. Like, that's really cool. Yes, yes. That's really, really cool. Is, I love the like the way that they use the environments in the fight scenes because they are always yeah. having it like the environments and um I mean I know that there's smoke bombs but like you know just interesting ways to change things up because like you know the fighting doesn't get stale on Avatar and no the use of weapons the use of scene you know the, the things they can use in the scene it just makes it that much more interesting to watch 
And if they're, if they're, yeah, that's the thing that really stays consistent between Avatar and Korra is that the fire scenes really make use of its environments. And that's what makes it feel like really grounded and really like important that it like, it feels like it's actually happening. Um, but yeah, um, Katara, Aang, and Sokka attempting to escape. They work together and Katara and Aang use the push and pull technique that they were learning at the beginning of the episode to bring That's in the tide back, to steal the kids. ship. Huh? That's a callback, kids. That yeah, that's called it's, it's um, secret. The secret tool we'll use we'll use later. You know that, that picture of Mickey from Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they they uh, bring in the ship, they steal it, and I I also meant I also wanted to say that this is really the first time we see Ang use water bending in a fight, apart from when he was in the Avatar State in Episode Two. Like and it doesn't count. In this, like he's like actually lucid and using it for the yeah, first time. Yeah, there you go. That's why I said it didn't count. <laughs> right, right, and I th- I think it's it's um, it's kind of cool. I don't know. It's just kind of cool to see him like incorporate that now into his fighting style. Like I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but now using Chekhov's bison whistle, Aang calls Appa, <laughs> and they escape Zuko and the pirates. And there's this really funny tag at the end where Ever realizes that. The lotus tile he lost when is in his sleeve the whole time. And then Zuko just t- <laughs> takes it and chucks it. I wish he like did this on purpose. Like, do you know what I mean? I wish he was just like, oh, we have to stop somewhere because I have to get a lotus tile. And it was just an excuse to go shopping and like distract Zuko. And then he'd be like, it was in my sleeve the whole time. I definitely think that was a whole ploy to go shopping and to get Zuko to like, you know, and it just like conveniently overlapped with Aang. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it is. I think Who it knows? is. I I I think that I think that's the, I absolutely think that's the case. I write that down on our list of questions for break. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then to close out the episode, Katara, you know, apologizes for her over competitiveness and Sakura reveals that he managed to steal back the scroll. Now, I can't remember, does the scroll ever come back into play at any point? Like, don't they give it to somebody? I mean, they go back to the water, go to the Northern Water Tribe. So I don't know. I haven't remember. I haven't like. I mean, I've been like really faithful with this and haven't like watched ahead. Like every Me time neither. that we do an episode, I literally have not watched like the show since probably maybe the first or second time I watched the show, which was like mm-hmm. high school. So it's been a really long time since I last watched it. So I can't. I want to say they give it to Paku at some point. But I might be wrong. I don't remember. Definitely something to look out for. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So that's episode 109. Uh, We're going to take a quick break for our ad break, and we will see you after that. For Jet. For Jet. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Did you miss us? We missed you. Okay. So our next episode that we're recapping is episode 10, which is Jet. The episode opens up with Momo and a bunch of other am- uh, animals getting captured and the gang frees them from the cages. Huzzah. Um, I mean, it's really cool to notice the attention to detail that Sokka has. We're going we're gonna, mm-hmm. to we're gonna, we're gonna stand Sokka. For, I mean, we always stand Sokka, but he's a Sokka stand moment right here. He has like attention to detail and he points out that the traps are from the Fire Nation because of the metal. And uh, also, he does point out that they keep getting tracked by the Fire Nation because Appa is too noticeable with the arrow and being a giant bison from a culture that is pretty much extinct. Which, I mean, he has a point. He does, though. We love Appa. We all want Appa plushies. 
The way Katara was like, oh, your intuition says that. (laughs) I'm just like, this is like, I'm not, I'm not like bagging on Katara here, but like Sokka is right in this, in this scenario. Like at work, cause I'm working with, I'm not working with like 14, 50 year olds, but I am working with like 10, 11 year olds. And anytime there's any drama, I have to like figure out a way to like deescalate it. But I'm always at the end of the day, I'm just like, that person was right. Like (laughs) that kid did the right thing. (laughs) But you can't flat out say that because then it, it gets too complicated. So you're yeah. just like, okay, it's fine. How about you guys just like not hang out for the rest of the day so you don't annoy each other? There cool. you go. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he has a point. Smart kid. So they start walking through the forest and they pretty much just roast Sokka the whole way through. I mean, not even like they're kind of weak roasts, but, you know, they still do it as siblings do. Yeah. Uh, and they literally walk right into a Fire Nation camp and they're trapped until a bunch of kids led by one who's about Sokka's age and they swoop in they kick Firebender ass without bending. Good for them. Ish. We don't know that much about them, so good for them, I guess. <laughs> Um, cool thing about and like one of the cool things I noticed is that I forgot about like the weapon that Jet uses. So Jet, the person that leads the little ragtag band of rebel kids, he uses these like hook-looking weapons, and mm-hmm. I looked them up, and they're called tiger heads. And the inspiration for them comes from northern China. So oh, that's facts. interesting. Um, and then you know once they fight off the Fire Nation soldiers, uh, the leader introduces himself as Jet, and his freedom fighters, uh, and Katara instantly has a crush on him. That's unfortunate. <laughs> but that's very like 14-year-old, like teenage girl, like Okay, that was like that was even me when like that was me before I even realized I like girls just kind of like, okay, that guy is kind of cool. He seems nice to me. Okay, I think I have a crush on him kind of thing. That was me. <laughs> I get that a lot more than her being tied up in a tree and Zuko walking around her talking to her. Like I get this a lot more. Um, yeah. Mm. So yeah. And they introduce the freedom fighters. They, uh, you know, they, you know, go to the the hideout up in the trees. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Ewok village from Return of the Jedi. That is every You're single right. tree village ever. Yeah. Um. I mean, the, the freedom fighters are kind of like the Lost Boys meets like Robin Hood a little bit, except oh, totally. you know, a little bit darker when we, as we learn later. But like, that's just what I think about when I see them. Like the Lost Boys meets like Robin Hood and Merry Men. <laughs> like mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. Yeah, so then, um, you know, we're introduced more to Jet and the rest of the the, the bunch. Uh, Jet and Katara also bond over the fact that they both lost parents to the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, another bonding over shared trauma. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this in our last episode about Jet, but um, it the dynamic between Jet and Katara really boils down to, like, the fact that they have very similar trauma, but they reacted in very different ways. Like, I think in that sense, they're, like, almost kind of foil to each other, which I think is interesting. Um, but, yeah, like we said last Katara's week. I mean, like, got a lot whole... of foils. Yeah, she does. She does. She really does. Like, a lot more than the other characters. But, Azula, like we said last week, like, Jet. this show is basically just, like, how people react to trauma. <laughs> yep. And I think, that's, I think that's an interesting way. I mean, a lot of shows are about that. Um, one thing that, one that comes to mind that's a little more on the on the nose about it is mr robot i don't know if anyone nope, listening has watched that but that is very much like how different people react to trauma hmm. um i think a lot of shows especially uh more serious dramatic shows deal with that in very different ways but i think avatar does it in a way that's not only subtle but also understandable to a younger audience so 
I don't know. It was, de- I mean, it's definitely kind of like the first kids show on Nickelodeon to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and it opened the door for so many shows to do that as well. Absolutely. So the next morning, uh, the gang and the Freedom Fighters are off on the so-called special mission. Uh, Jet jumps an old man, uh, which then he thinks that, you know, he's Fire Nation. But even if he was Fire Nation, like, what harm could that guy do to him, really? Mm-hmm. So we have to see this much darker side to this so-called freedom fighter and you know you can tell that the anger that he has against the fire nation essentially poisoned him you know like he jumped an old man that really was just he was asking him like just stop like stop i'm not really i'm not gonna hurt you well and this is the thing it's like we a lot of the discussion about how the fire nation is not all bad mm-hmm. for most people stems from the headband episode where ang goes to the fire nation school and it's all like revised history and the kids not being able to express themselves in any way. But this has been going on literally since, again, the beginning of this of this entire series. Like all of them are not bad. They just live under a regime that represents them poorly and in very violent ways. And I think because of that, there is a stigma. And I mean, I'm not going to say like the Fire Nation is like the oppressed group here, but like. It's an inter- it's again it's again an interesting thing to pose to kids because in kids television there's a very good side and a very bad side. Like it's like the Fire Nation are not all Slytherins. Slytherins are not all evil, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> but but the thing the difference being like I mean in the Harry Potter books they they just are all evil and it's boring and stupid, but here they're like no, like the Fire Nation has good people that just happen to live in the fire. Na- the fire nation was, wasn't always like this. Mm-hmm. You know, there had, there was someone that came in and corrupted the power and now they've become this terrorist country essentially. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. No, that is interesting. Definitely adds a layer of gray to, you know, kids shows that often have the very black and white approach to people. So good exactly. for them as always, you know, we stand in the good writing. Um, so they come back to the camp and Katara asks Jack what happened. Well, Sokka tells him like, hey, like he jumped an old man. Like that's not that's not cool, you know. And Katara's like, well, I want to hear what Jet has to say, you know. So then Jet tells, you know, Jet tells her what happened and he basically planted evidence to justify his attack. He just pulled out this random blade and said, oh, he was trying to kill me. Like he, he had this hidden on his person. And then Katara, you know, and Katara believes him. Sad. But, you know, but he's, just, I mean, again, not, he's not like a master manipulator like Azula, but like he's a pretty good manipulator, you know? Oh, you definitely. see it again later. Yeah, I think, I think you said last week, like the way he like is effortlessly able to manipulate people, I think, definitely not on the level of Azula, but it's a lot more casual with him. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know that you're being manipulated, which I guess, I guess no one ever really does. But with Azula, you always get the sense that she's, playing 3D chess. But with Jet, I mean, there isn't really anything that Aang and Katara have seen to put his character into question, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, again, they've only known this kid for, like, a day or two. Like, and they're already ready and to, they, like, like, completely you know, trust him. Well, they're kids. I know. I know. That's the thing. It's like, but Sokka's the older one and kind of has a little bit more his doubts. Right. And I think that's that's why the writing chose him to be the one to be like, yo, like, this is not what it seems mm-hmm. yeah so jet then recruits and katara for a mission to allegedly try to protect the forest from being burned down by the fire nation by using the water from a nearby reservoir 
Of course, Sokka still doesn't trust Jet. So in the middle of the night, Sokka sneaks out to see what Jet and the Freedom Fighters are really up to. And then we find out that Jet's going to blow up the reservoir to wipe out the Fire Nation. But it's also going to wipe out the town. Like, he's willing to murder in- innocents to get revenge on the Fire Nation. Like, that's a little fu- that's He's a little also, like, up. again, like, 16. Like, yeah. I mean... Trauma- a very traumatized 16-year-old. I mean, traumatized enough to justify, like, the wiping out of an entire village. Like... Yeah. I guess, I mean, I don't really know. Like, I was going to say it's, like, an age thing to think in such, like, absolute terms. But, like, it's not... It's really not. Like, there no. are... There are people of all kinds of ages that think in terms of like the greater good. Yeah. But like when you, I feel like when characters start going down like the greater good path, it always tends to be like a means of corruption. Yeah. Like, cause it puts that character in a sense of like almost godlike judgment in mm-hmm. a, a little bit. And like, yeah. I know I'm taking this way too far, but like Jed mm-hmm. is like, it's kind of concerning that he's able to justify this very easily. Yeah. You know, like, I think it's both um, an interesting way to turn him into the villain of the episode while also being like, this is how much trauma the Fire Nation has inflicted. It's got kids thinking like this and able to commit these crimes with no second thought. Like, once you take it to that level, it's like, oh, shit. Like, you know. Yeah. So like the reason, so I made I made a note in the show notes um, that he I kind of can draw some parallels to Saw Gerrera from Star Wars. Okay. I really like the Clone Wars. I like Star Wars Rebels. I like the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um. So he was introduced in the uh in the Clone Wars. Uh, a, you know, a rebel kind of you know similar to Jet. You know, fighting was for he his not in like that. Was he not in Rogue he One? He was in Rogue One. So you see okay. the older Saw Gerrera, and when you first meet him in Clone Wars, he is kind of the more extreme because he has a sister, and his sister gets killed off, and you know. It makes it you know makes him even more like angry and uh-huh. extremist. And so when you see him in Rogue One, you know that he is more of the extremist kind. But you get to see more of that in Star Wars Rebels, where he actually like you know he is a lot more willing to sacrifice people, like sacrifice people, as and like put other people in danger right. for the sake of the greater good. So I can definitely there's definitely some parallels between the two for sure. Um, yeah, go watch Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars. They're both actually really good shows. Uh, it definitely makes the movies a lot more enjoyable once you know that kind of history. But yeah, Jet reminds me of Saul Guerrero. I I was gonna say I just finished um, watching Death Note for the first time, and this is kind of what I was talking about in terms of like characters that fall into the path of thinking that what they're doing is for the greater good. Um, because the protagonist of that anime is very much like I'm killing all of these people for the sake of the greater good like he's essentially killing criminals by the thousands and hundred thousands because he thinks that is gonna fix the world like if he gets rid of crime then he gets rid of but it, it turns into him killing other people and like it's it's like it sounds like the greater good like it sounds like completely harmless but like every time we see a character weaponize it it's always like it doesn't it end well <laughs> you know it doesn't end well it it, it like plays on like your sense your individual sense of justice while also playing on your objective sense of justice. And everyone thinks they know what is just and good when they are the victors in this scenario. Like it's, Mm. it's, I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's a very messy thing to get into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, damn Andre. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. I just said, well, damn isn't like, I'm impressed. Like that was a really interesting way to approach that. Thank you. That's cool. 
That's why they it's, pay me. We don't get paid for this, Andre. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> we get paid. We got paid ten dollars for this for ten episodes. <laughs> that's one buck an episode. We're in our tenth episode. That's amazing. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so you find out that Jet's going to possibly, you know, end up getting Innocent caught in the crossfire in his crusade against the Fire Nation. Uh, Sokka gets called, you know, gets caught, you know, spying on them, and Jet and calls Jet out on his manipulative bullshit. Kind of scary how good of a liar Jet is. Um, you know, plays with Katara's weaknesses. He even plays with Sokka's weaknesses a little bit, trying to make Sokka feel like he's a part of something, that he's a leader, that he's a smart person, you know. Well, he even says, like, the Fire Nation killed your mother. Why wouldn't you want to do this thing with mm-hmm. me, you know? Exactly. So then Sokka ends up getting captured and guarded by two of the freedom fighters who still believe in him, who still believe in Jet. Um, and then Sokka tricks them into running into the traps from before that captured the animals. Again, another secret tool that'll help us later. Uh, and so, and then he goes off to warn Ang and Katara, who then find out that Jet's about to destroy the town. Dun, dun, dun. And then uh, Jet finds out what they know and tries one more time to get them on his side, but it ends up culminating into a fight. And he's really able to hold his own, which we already knew from before. I mean, it's, you know, he handled a bunch of firebenders pretty easily. He's able to handle two kids who, you know, I mean, I know Aang's a master airbender, but, you know, two kids. Yeah. Not still kind of beginning with like waterbending and stuff. So he's able to hold his own really well in a fight. But eventually Katara freezes Jet to a tree and they find out the reservoir is about to be blown up and the town gets flooded. So they think that everyone died. I remember watching that episode for the first time. I was at, I was actually like at a swim meet uh, and I was like watching this like I was taking a bath while watching the episode and I was like, oh, my God, did they just kill all those people. Like, I mean, I knew it was a kid's show, but like I still was yeah. like. You know, this is like, you know, not one of the most like well raved about episodes. You know, it still was like. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, though, like, I I realized that we haven't talked about the Freedom Fighters that much. Yeah. Kind the of notable Freedom them, Fighters, sorry. that is. Uh, just want to shout them out. Trans Icon Smellerby. <laughs> yeah. A Trans Icon Smellerby. Uh, we got Longshot, Doesn't Speak, Pipsqueak, Sneers, who I don't remember, and The Duke. But if There's I remember others correctly. others that weren't named. Yeah, but I, if I remember correctly, the only the only people we see come back in season two are just Jet, Smeller, B, and Longshot. So it it seems that they've broken up, yeah, or most of them have defected at some point between this episode and season two, probably. Which is interesting, and I know like Jet was like going to Bossing State to like lead a better life or something, and he got caught up in the Firebender thing again. But I don't know. That was that was interesting. I I think they would. I they were like very. I think they were wholesome characters, honestly. Like yeah. especially the Duke and Pipsqueak. Um, I don't know. It was just fun, and mm-hmm. espe- especially when Ang Ang tells Pipsqueak like Pipsqueak, that's a funny name, and he's like, "You're calling my name funny?" He's like, "Yeah," and he starts laughing, <laughs> and then like hits Ang and like goes flying to the floor. I love that. It's so funny. So I hope Sorry to do- derail your. No, I, it's I, okay. I was just realizing halfway through. I'm like, shit. Yeah. People are going to be like, why didn't you talk about Smaller Bee? <laughs> well, the kids, I mean, the, the, the kids, I hope that they turned out okay, you know, after leaving the Freedom Fighters, you know. I hope that they, like, you know, found, like, families to stay with or something. Like, I hope they turned out okay, you know? They're kids. I hope, yeah, I hope Longshot and Smaller Bee found an apartment somewhere in the middle ring and maybe moved before you know, the Red Lotus <laughs> fuck shit up. But, uh, well, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I don't see them staying in one place uh, very long, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. You just hope the kids are okay. You know, they didn't deserve to, you know, suffer for the actions of one, mm. you know, person. So you hope they're okay. I'm sure there's fan fiction out there about it. <laughs> oh, totally. I think there is like long shot and jet fan fiction because oh, of the way like Jet's death scene, the way it played out, like it definitely kind of felt like um, like uh-huh. the only reason Longshot said anything was because Jet was dying. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, I think people got some vibes from that. Like, I mean, like I'm here for it, you know? I barely remember Jet's death scene. All I remember is like the Ember Island version of it. And then like uh, Sokka saying, and not Sokka, Zuko being like, did Jet just die? Like he found out that he, like this guy that he like, you know, stole food with on a, on a ship, like possibly yeah. die kind of horribly yeah <laughs> like, he's like oh my god i know i didn't even realize that like oh my god i knew that kid <laughs> exactly well. so that's why jet's not usually one of like the higher ranking villains or antagonists of the avatar probably more so antagonist not one of the higher ranking antagonists as you listened to in the episode that we just did before this probably because of the did jet just die <laughs> yeah a little bit so anyway anyway back to the episode uh katara eventually does freeze jet to a tree but the uh reservoir still floods the plan still happens but then um sokka shows up on Appa. he's like it's okay like you know everyone i got back to the village and got everyone out no one believed me but the old guy that jet jumped uh vouched for me and everyone's out safe so it's okay so you know again another secret tool that'll help us later except you know it's a person (laughs) It's very much like, you know, put good deeds out and good deeds will come back to you, you know. Exactly. Don't be a bystander, kids. Stop the bullying if you see it. Oh, my God. That takes me back to all of the assemblies in middle and elementary <laughs> middle school. Holy bananas. So, but, like, yeah, so then um, Jet's, like, you know, calls them a traitor, you know, calls, you know, calls them all traitors to the cause or whatever. And then he's like, you know, this we could have freed this, te- they could have freed this area. And then he's like, and then Sokka says probably the most impactful line of the episode who would be free? Everyone would be dead. Like, yeah, shit, buddy. <laughs> like, for real. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's right. Yeah, he is right. Like, wow, wow. I also, I also would want to know, like, how long have the Freedom Fighters been like operative? Like, yeah. how long have they all been together? Because it feels, I, it feels don't take kind Jet's of... word for it, <laughs> huh? Don't take Jet's word for it on how long they've been around. You know. Like, Does he say? In, in no, he didn't say. He didn't say a number of how long they've been around, but like you know, well, I mean, just the way like he talks about it before, it's like, oh, like they, like, you know, I'm wanted, and oh, uh, you know, they're out. Like this guy is this, was an assassin out to kill me. Like, mm, okay. I would say just from the their population, they must have been around for like a couple years. Yeah, because they're able to build like the treehouse village and have like right. a way to get up there. But I also say that and and know that like there was probably someone that saw through Jet and either defected and left or maybe they did something to him or I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a... I don't think Jet takes criticism too too easily, you know? So it's very much like the rest of them can't see me as a bad leader because they're, like, counting on me. So I have to do whatever I have to do in order to make them... make Like, keep that image and reputation of myself, you know? So... He just really sees himself as like a, a redeemer, like, um, n- not only just like a Robin Hood character, but just like a, almost I would say a vigilante. Yeah, because he's he's taking like justice into his own hands. Like to him, it's a it's a one to one. Like Fire Nation took my family. I'm gonna kill all firebenders essentially. 
So he tries one more time to appeal to Katara, who rejects him, and then the gang flies off to have more adventures. So, yep. There you go. That's the episode. That's episode one ten. Jet. Jet. Cool. But now we're going to move on to fandom corner. This is what we were going to talk about uh, last week. But then Savannah um, had an amazing point to talk about. So yes, she did. Yes, she did. Uh, shout out to Savannah. Hey, Savannah. Go listen to um, it. It's a good episode. But yeah. Tell me, I don't remember where you found this. This was in an Avatar Facebook group that I was a part of. And I'm judging by the format of the post, like the picture, because I took a screenshot of a picture. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say probably it was originally on Tumblr, this oh, uh, headcanon, just based off of the like bullet points and the format and stuff. I go on Tumblr a lot. I, so I was going to say, this. I love that, like, judging by the judging format by the and, font the, and, the font. and the format. <laughs> I'd love I that. mean, I'll be honest. A lot of the headcanon, good headcanon posts come from Tumblr. So, when Tumblr was like good. Oh yeah, absolutely old Tumblr, definitely. I mean, I don't know. I still enjoy Tumblr, even though it's not what it used to be. That's for sure. Uh, it's def- it's definitely not. It's I it's it's literally on my first home screen, but I like never use it anymore. <laughs> I constantly forget it's there. Anyway, but yeah, you found this this really cool this really cool theory. I'm gonna read it out for us. Um, basically, it just says. How did Monkey Yatsu wipe out about a dozen firebenders supercharged with Sozin's Comet before he died? Here's my theory. Gyatso knew a secret last resort airbending move that Aang was never told about. As they surrounded him, he sat quietly on the floor. Then once they were close, he simply pushed all the air out of the room. He held the air out of the room long enough to suffocate all of them and then himself. Here's the evidence. His clothing is unburnt and there is no evidence firebending was used near him. Why would they have fought slash killed him without fire? Their bodies are lying piled up around him. If he killed them with airbending, they would have been thrown across the room. Aang, as a child, wouldn't have been taught this dark technique, so it makes sense that it's not referenced in the show. We know this type of bending is possible on a small scale, at least, because Zaheer uses it to kill the Earth Queen. Think about how those firebenders must have felt, standing over a frail old monk feeling indestructible from the power of the comet, and suddenly Gyatso pushes his hands to the side and there's a rush of noise and utter silence. They realize they can't breathe. They try to use firebending to kill him before they suffocate, but without air, there can be no fire. In one move, Gyatso has gone out on his own terms, killed them all, and shown how the elements rely on each other and the importance of balance. I'm just going to consider this as canon because oh, I think absolutely. this is a phenom- phenomenal theory. There's the evidence. There's the, you know, like, it you know, makes sense with, like, Korra. You know, it makes sense with the future of the show. It makes, And it even explains why it wasn't mentioned in the show because, you know, that's pretty freaking dark. But, yeah. you know, damn. <laughs> I w- I- I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I would love to, like, actually see this happen in the live action series. If it's going to be on Netflix and it's going to be a little more adult, just fucking do it. I want to see it. I want to see this in action. Like, have it be, like, a flashback, like, later in the series or something. I'm not sure if people will, like, you know. True. You know, are ready to go, like, maybe first five episodes in, ready to see, like, the Imagine. dark side of airbending. You know, we didn't get to see the dark side of airbending until, like. I see. I, okay, yeah. You know. Yeah, you, you have a point. You have a point. Like, seven-ish seasons of avatar universe world building up until that moment but i like thinking that oh i still want to see it <laughs> I, yeah i like thinking that airbending is not all like peaceful peaceful and fun like there is a dark side to it i mean of course we see it with Sahira doing it but i mean like i mean that's why they were so peaceful because literally like you can take you get i mean like you could see like the um of, you know, you can see like the, for example, like the Earth, the Earth prison. You know, the Earth, the Earthbender prison. You can take. I mean, this is before metal bending, so just don't go at me with that. 
But they were able to deprive waterbenders of water, with the exception of Hama, but that's Hama's the exception, not the rule. They were mm-hmm. able to just deprive, uh, you know, waterbenders of water. Firebenders, you know, kind of hard to, you know, like, I mean, Cora, they literally, like, covered her mouth and all that stuff. She couldn't firebend as well. And then, you know, like, the, I might probably have said this before, but, like, when Cora was captured by the Earth Queen's people, like, he says, like, yep, I can't give you any water, and I guess I can't give you fire or earth either, and there's nothing I can do about air. There's nothing I can do about air. You literally cannot deprive people of air unless you're an airbender. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's true. You know. But I, I think this is a solid theory. Oh, absolutely. I can, I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and consider it canon. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing to, to prove against it, so. I mean, I remember, like, I remember when I found this, I'm like, holy crap, we need to talk about this. Like, I, yeah. as soon as I found it, I screenshotted all of it and sent it to Andre, you know. Avatar fan groups, man, you'll find some interesting stuff there. I mean, depends oh, totally. on where you go. Depends on where you go on Facebook. But there's a, lo- there's a lot of fan groups out there now because the fandom's coming back to life, if you will. Like, a la mm. Mushu from Mulan, the <laughs> animated version. Uh, I live... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's some interesting fan theories interesting memes and some very interesting posts for sure so if you feel like we missed something in our discussion or maybe you disagree with the theory like the one we just talked about or you just want to suggest topics for us to talk about in the future we want to hear from you you can email us directly at the avatar hour podcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on facebook at the avatar hour podcast instagram at the same username at the avatar hour podcast and twitter at avatar hour and if you'd like to follow us personally you can find me on twitter as kayla underscore underscore gagnon and you can find me on twitter at hey it's underscore andre um also if you're listening to the show and you love it uh, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. It helps people find the podcast um, and just make it more visible and uh, to, you know, grow our little avatar, our family. So yeah. yeah, if you haven't done it already, please consider leaving us a review. Yeah. And if you, if you're listening to it on a site like Spotify, where you can't really leave a review, um, share the link on social media. You retweet mm-hmm. a bunch of other, you know, stuff during the day. You can certainly send, you know, post something about the show on there. <laughs> it's easy. It's quick, easy and fun. Thank you all again for listening. Uh, you know, we'll see you next week. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And yeah, that's it. Bye. See you next week. Bye, guys. See you next week.